In this country, we believe that there should be freedom for all, even though not all of us believe in it. Join Tom and Chase as they explore politics, economics, and everything else that threatens your individual liberty. This is The Freeform Podcast. All right, welcome back, guys. Free for all, episode twenty. Welcome back, guys, to the twentieth episode of the Free for All podcast. Uh, I'm sorry that it's been about three weeks since our last show. I was moving into a new apartment, and then we had obviously Memorial Day weekend, and then uh, Father's Day as well. And Tom and I couldn't find time to get to the studio to record. But we are back this week with an episode chock full of topics to discuss from the last few weeks uh, that we've been gone. Um, as always. We appreciate everybody listening. Uh, please remember to keep us uh, keep up with us on our socials: Instagram at Free for All Podcast and Twitter at FFA Podcast seventeen seventy six. And also remember that our show is available wherever you guys listen to your podcast, be it YouTube, Spotify, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. I'm sorry, can't speak today. Um, so obviously, I said we've got quite a few topics to discuss, and I'm not lying. So uh, let's go ahead and get into what we've got for you guys this episode. Um, so the first topic that Tom and I kind of wanted to talk about, uh, talk to you guys about was the um, increase in VAERS reporting um, since the release of the vaccine. Um, and I kind of wanted to start out this segment by simply saying that we pretty much called this from the very beginning. We actually, I think, want to say it was two episodes ago now. Um, we kind of talked about the fact that this vaccine was pretty much experimental and the dangers of putting unknown substances in, into your body uh, will you know, present themselves at some point down the road, and we're pretty much nearly there. Um, so on June 10th, uh, Nine News Australia essentially broke a story via Twitter about a woman who died because of a blood clotting issue um, in Australia after receiving both doses of the vaccine. And then that very same day, uh, another story broke that the CDC was holding an emergency meeting to discuss the, uh, quote unquote, higher than expected cases of heart inflammation and blood clotting related to the vaccine. Yeah. And uh, I said previously that I had a family member get admitted to the hospital for cardiac issues and the symptoms popped up the day of getting the second dose of the vaccine. So I don't know. People just keep denying that it has some sort of connection. And uh, there's these reports that come out and they just get swept under the rug. Yeah. And all of this pretty much goes to show that nothing created in haste is ever good or of any kind of quality. Because um, remember that this vaccine was obviously developed and released in under a single year. And that was never an, a, a good idea to begin with. Um, the FDA, the government's obviously their own scientists from uh, another corrupt alphabet agency that they did, couldn't even approve this vaccine themselves. And so not to mention Moderna and Pfizer have never actually brought a successful vaccine to the market ever. Uh, this is the first one that they've ever brought to market since they've existed. And mm. uh, we're now seeing why none of them have ever passed clinical testing stages. Hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. And I, yeah, I talk about the FDA and how they don't approve stuff. Not that we like the FDA, but it's just... Uh, if you're going to say that all the scientists say take it, then uh, maybe all of them should be saying take it. But I made a really bad comparison the other day, but I still think it's a good point. And I said, I was talking to somebody, I said that I would rather take heroin off the street than get the vaccine. Um, and I know that sounds stupid or whatever, but at least people pay money to get heroin. And uh, 
I just find it really creepy that the vaccine is free. And in fact, many jobs will give you a bonus or paid time off to get it. Uh, we, you know, we talked about, oh, it's so great. Why do you have to force people to get it, basically? Um, and the government and all the big corporations who I already didn't trust before all this are trying to push it on everybody just like a drug dealer would. So what's the difference between that and heroin? You're just, you know, you're sticking a suspicious needle in your arm. And they're basically saying you'll be a cool kid if you get it. Um, but here's the difference, because uh, at least if somebody kills you with heroin, they're charged with second degree murder. I mean, if they get caught or whatever. But if you die from the vaccine, you can't do anything to these companies. You can maybe make a VAERS report or whatever, but people will pretty much still gaslight you and the media will gaslight you and say, oh, this is not connected to the vaccine, no matter what evidence you present. And see, that was part of the uh, fine print in getting the vaccine is that both Moderna and Pfizer could be completely absolved of any sort of uh, legal responsibility for any of the adverse reactions that you do report to VAERS. So uh, that's a problem in and of itself. But when we're on the topic of the COVID vaccine, we also kind of wanted to touch on uh, the Fauci email leak that came out while we were, you know, kind of on our hiatus uh, that was completely unplanned. Um, so obviously, you know, that whistleblower leaked emails between Fauci and the lab in Wuhan where the virus originated. And in these emails, a kind of disturbing fact arises that Fauci's own foundation pretty much actually donated money to the lab years prior to support uh, that lab's development and research of a coronavirus in which they were planning to manipulate to do certain things. Fauci quite literally helped fund this venture, but we're essentially somehow supposed to still trust him when he's arguably half the reason the pandemic even started to begin with. Um, and what's funny to me is the uh, Fauci email leak also pretty much confirmed a theory that I had presented in the very first episode of our show, which is that this virus is most definitely man-made. Um, this virus does not behave like a typical coronavirus does, and there's no staple symptoms. It affects everybody to varying degrees and levels, and you know you can't really even tell that you have it unless you get tested for it. And it's arguably a breach of the Geneva Convention in which chemical and bioweapons were banned from existence and development after uh, you know the atrocities that occurred during World War II, you know, with, and even World War One with sarin and chlorine gas and all of that kind of stuff, you know, people engineering different things to use them to kill people. Um, you know, you could very arguably throw that under the same category if this virus was purposely being engineered by humans to be able to inflict upon uh, damage to other humans. Um, Aside from that, the leak also pretty much proves he uh, should have never been trusted from the very beginning. And now millions of Americans who have taken this experimental vaccine uh, could be in jeopardy of issues like heart inflammation or blood clots uh, simply because of his lies and negligence. Uh, yeah. And what's funny is it, it kind of just goes to show if bioweapons can still be made and stuff that all these international packs like the Geneva Convention don't really mean much because, you know, you, you just do something by secret or whatever. But uh, what's funny is that it's the U.S. government or at least a U.S. government official in Fauci uh, funding uh, something with a supposed enemy to uh, do gain of function research. Uh, I don't know. But speaking of Darth Fauci, who's literally Emperor Palpatine, because like I said, he's acting like he's our savior and our uh, 
our leader or whatever, but he's really just supporting our enemies. Um, I wanted to throw in a little clip of you guys where Fauci responds to, uh, you know, the right wing criticism that he's always changing his mind and changing the rules. You know, like we talked about, he moves the goalposts and changes what he, you know, the decision on mass and uh, social distancing and stuff like that. So this clip that we're about to pull up is from the Sway podcast, which is actually produced by the New York Times. So uh, here's the clip right now. Take a listen. The people who are giving the ad hominems are saying, ah, Fauci misled us. First, he said no mask. Then he said mask. Well, let me give you a flash. That's the way science works. You work with the data you have at the time. It is essential as a scientist, that you evolve your opinion and your recommendations based on the data as it evolves. That is the nature of science. Okay, so obviously that video is really just trying to defend himself from, like I said, the criticism that he's changing his mind all the time. And uh, honestly, that is a pretty decent argument. I mean, that's what science is supposed to be. You're supposed to always be uh, proving yourself wrong and trying to find the truth or whatever. But I, I don't know how we're supposed to trust somebody like this when he admits that he has such a bad track record. And uh, we talked about previously, he has a bad track record going back decades. So it's just really a dodge. And uh, he's saying, oh, you know, it, it kind of goes back to the thing where he says, oh, if you don't trust Dr. Fauci, you don't trust science or whatever. And he's trying to, uh, I don't know, basically excuse himself for being wrong, I guess. Well, but also we have to remember that you can't really like he's talking about science, you know, constantly evolving and he should constantly change his opinion on things and stuff like that. But okay, like then when your opinion changes, you can't just continue with the same response that you had originally like it, it, it if you get new data that proves you wrong and then you continue with the same solution that you came up with the first time you're essentially saying that the new data that you found doesn't matter because you already came up with the solution the first time around uh and so that's how we got all these year-long lockdowns in certain states like new york and california um you know that seem never-ending and even as their cases are dropping, they're not uh, getting rid of any of the safety precautions or anything like that. And so, you know, you can't play games with people's lives like that because many people lost their jobs, their livelihoods, um, foreclosed on their homes, went bankrupt and everything all because of these stupid lockdowns. And so for him to basically admit that he was repeatedly wrong and then try and scapegoat himself out of taking any kind of responsibility for it is just stupid. Like, I'm not going to trust somebody like that. Yeah, he's lost all credibility at this point. Uh, but I, I think we've harped on Fauci a little much, so we'll get moving on to uh, the next topic here. So why don't you yeah. start that off? Um, so basically, um, this was another you know funny event to come out of the last three weeks. I don't know if anybody was paying attention, but basically at the end of May, Biden addressed uh, some... A couple groups of service members at Joint Base Langley in uh, Eustis, Virginia. And during this address, he stated that he was launching a strategy to combat, uh, quote unquote, domestic terrorism, white supremacy and anti-government ideology, in which he essentially asked the spectators to 
monitor their friends and family and to report any potentially quote unquote radicalized or anti-government uh, quote unquote individuals to the FBI and local law enforcement. And this gave me some serious, like eerie 1984 type vibes. And the first thing about this is, you know, this sort of thinking is extremely dangerous, but also, you know, a breach of rights to free speech, obviously. Um, if you speak in support of the government, then you're fine. But then if you criticize them, you're essentially now a criminal. Um, just imagine if everybody actually did this, how many of your friends and family are going to be kidnapped during the night, and never seen again. And don't for a single second think that that's some sort of thing that would never happen just because we live in the United States, uh, because it's happened in every single failed communist state that's ever existed. Communism essentially exists to wipe out the opposition in its entirety. And this includes citizens who don't subscribe to the communist ideology. Uh, so if you don't agree, you're likely to disappear or be murdered by your own government. That's how it goes when you're dealing with communists. And so obviously libertarians in general, given that most of us are very anti-government, would be first up on the chopping block simply for advocating that people be free instead of controlled by a central government. And that's a very big problem. Yeah, and uh, even if you're not like necessarily like anti-government uh, in general or like anti, you just have to be anti what the government's doing right now. Like you can... You can be a Republican, you can be whatever. I mean, just like look back in history, the, uh, you know, the Nazis, uh, the communists and stuff like that, they would take out the opposing parties by, you know, passing laws like this or censoring them or whatever. And so it just goes back to uh, you might think that it's really just a fringe group of people that this law is targeting. But in the end, it provides a vehicle for. Uh, pretty much anybody to be targeted for political means or just any means, personal means. Um, but another big thing is that the Libertarian Party, which we'll talk about later, uh, kind of spent this whole time uh, using their platform not to fight this overwhelmingly uh, authoritarian Biden regime uh, getting in power. And, and when, you know, in fact, this whole 2020, they probably aided it through uh, all their BLM posting. But what's happening now is that, you know, since all these people, I mean, not that libertarians are that big of a force, but this is all these people that supported BLM um, and they thought they were just supporting black people or whatever um, and not supporting the inevitable degradation of the Constitution. But, you know, just all these white people in general or like these bystanders or these centrists or whatever that might have been like, yeah, OK, like BLM, whatever. You think it's a benign idea and you support it you're really just putting yourself on the chopping block because now we have somebody in office who, uh, I mean, it wasn't just BLM that got Biden in. It was a bunch of fake news and shit, but now we have somebody in the office who wants to just, who will let just anybody get taken out. Uh, anybody get canceled, anybody get, uh, like we said, targeted by the government, uh, have your guns taken away or interrogated or whatever. And it just kind of goes back to how this whole American leftist idea that's coming up of equality or whatever they want to call it, it, it really just has nothing to do with equality of opportunity. Uh, they just, equality of opportunity has been here for a while. Uh, we're, we're just seeing a shift uh, to a culture where minorities have certain rights that whites do not. And I know it's cutting edge for me to be saying this, but I, I'm not always saying that they're, 
you know, treated well as minorities, but there's little talk about how whites and specifically white males are actively demonized and scrutinized more and more uh, pretty much every year these past few years. And I don't know if it's a big organized effort like uh, these universities making it easier for minorities to get in actively disadvantaging white people um, or just more disorganized and social things like uh, what rap songs or sorry, what rap lyrics you can say uh, if you're not black. So it's, it's just kind of like, you know, all these people thought, okay, we're, we're supporting, we're helping whatever. And uh, they, they push for these leftists to get in. And now it's, it's not even like what six months into the presidency and all this shit's happening economically. And then there's all this, terrible red flag policy being uh pushed across yeah and then obviously we had um i think our next topic was uh biden you know essentially confessing that he has handlers um i think we have that uh clip that we were going to play for you right now i'll take your questions and as usual folks they gave me a list of the people i'm going to call on so uh jonathan associated press so basically, um, Biden uh, addressed reporters after his meeting with Vladimir Putin, in which he apparently discussed the U.S. relationship with Russia and the um, perpetuated but debunked claim that Russia meddled in the 2016 U.S. election. At the end of his uh, remarks that he made, Biden stated essentially that he was given a list by they, them, whoever, uh, likely meeting his handlers. Um, and the people controlling him of people to call on to ask questions. And so this, I was coughing because I was laughing as I was watching this video. This is so laughable at this point, because the fact of the matter is that um, this proves that people from inside the White House are essentially controlling what he does and what he says. Um, Why else would he have been given a list of people to call on in specific if it wasn't because uh, they were pre-screened underhand questions that he could easily um, answer or dodge. We all know that if somebody asks him a difficult question, the only thing he can do is either mumble, stutter, or uh, say his catchphrase, come on, man. You know, he's very clearly mentally ill and unfit to hold any kind of office, obviously, especially the office of president. Um, he presents textbook signs of dementia and possibly even Alzheimer's. And it's sad that the left essentially resorted to manipulating him and using him as a puppet to um, further this radicalized agenda of theirs. Yeah, and it's not just come on, man. It's like you know, pointing his finger in people's chests, or uh, one duty called fat, and he's like, "Oh, let's do a push-up contest. Come on, man!" And it's like, dude, you are some old ass man who's not even there, and he's just—you can tell like he's got that dementia anger because he can't put it all together. Uh, but it's just it's unbelievable that people think that that's an appropriate president to have, even if you think what he says is good or what people tell him to say is good. But, uh, you know, of course, back when Trump was in office, Trump and all his press secretaries were given these loaded questions when they were interviewed or doing uh, press conferences about like white supremacy and other dumb shit like, oh, will you denounce white supremacy? And it's like. Uh, yeah, and he actually put the KKK on the terrorist list, so it's just kind of stupid you even say that, but uh, 
seriously, like with this double standard of questions being asked, like, what does this say about the government, like how the government and the media create our perception of things? Uh, you know, if there's this big collusion to love and cherish this dementia patient, yet the same media is questioning Trump's faculties. You know, they were always saying, oh, Trump needs a Trump could be a 25th Amendment or whatever. Well, yeah, they had him uh, they had him mentally checked like two or three times because they were saying he was mentally unfit to hold office or whatever. And it's like kind of funny that they were trying so hard to do that because then it's like Mike Pence takes over and don't you hate him more. But whatever. It's just not thinking down the road for a lot of these, uh, at least mainstream leftists. But uh, another thing I want to comment on is that Biden was talking about the subject of fake news not too long ago. I don't know, in the past week or two. But uh, he said something along the lines of, quote, it's not like back in the day when you just had Walter Cronkite on the news, you know, like one basically just saying like one guy reporting and. Uh, he's the credible dude, the one credible dude that everyone can believe. And uh, I just think this is so stupid because, I mean, regardless of whether or not we have seen an uptick lately in the past few years, especially with the internet of fact checking and all that and with alternate media and stuff. But it's just kind of a stupid point because how is there more truth in one person's basically monopoly on information? He's the gatekeeper of information than there is in all these competing news sources. Like I thought freedom of speech and discussion was the way that we found the truth. Uh, but I guess not if you're a big news conglomerate, but uh, you know, people seriously think that uh, the news used to be more credible when uh, basically the beliefs of millions of Americans were in the hands of just a few reporters or news agencies. Um, and if we've learned anything about government control or, how these uh, telecommunications monopolies work, uh, basically with uh, stuff guaranteed by government laws and infrastructure and stuff like that. You know, early on, there were just a few networks and just a few were able to get on t cable TV and stuff like that and uh, radio. But what, what we know is when we have these monopolies or, or when we have less competition because less companies are in there, uh, the service you get is always worse and the money they get is always greater. That's just how it works. And so obviously we're seeing uh, over time, these big media giants are getting some competition via the internet and stuff. Because not, I mean, even in the 2000s, like there's Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, but there's there weren't hundreds, thousands of, you know, it was just like the niche, like this is the leftist, this is the uh, Fox News for the right wing or whatever. But now there's like, way better news for you know pretty much anybody uh who wants to get their own sort of niche news uh, and these media giants finally have some competition they can't shape the narrative like they used to and they sure as hell can't get the money like they used to because people are turning their attention to online sources and really the only network that uh is doing good prime time is fox i mean cnn and all that stuff is just stuck on in airports and that's why they get all their viewers yeah, and I actually I saw a um I think it was like a, a breakdown of the money that CNN made last year and then according to like their view rate and they were saying that CNN lost so much money because they lost like it was like a third of their viewer base basically last year. Um so CNN, yeah, definitely is not doing very well. They're they're essentially continuing to lose money. Um but, you know, that's their own fault. Mm -hmm. So 
we had that, and then um, we've got two more topics for you guys to cover. This one was uh, Kamala uh, Harris's statements on immigration, um, and I think we actually have a little bit of a video clip to play for you guys right now, too, for that. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. There are legal methods by which migration can and should occur. But we, as one of our priorities, will discourage illegal migration. And I believe if you come to our border, you will be turned back. Yeah, so basically uh, she's sitting there in uh, Guatemala last week and told members in the press that citizens from that region would not be allowed into the U.S. uh, via the U.S.-Mexico border and that the U.S. would strictly enforce its immigration laws. And this is hilarious given the fact that they called Trump a xenophobe for doing literally the exact same thing she just described. And I remember them saying, uh, quote unquote, no human is illegal. Um, And this is just another case of goalposts being moved when it's convenient for them. The Democrats and the Biden administration in general are doing the exact opposite of what they said they would uh, during the campaign. And this is pretty predictable to everybody but the sheep that voted for the two of them. But um, given this fact, we can reasonably speculate that Biden could reverse his stance on the border wall, uh, especially because his administration has already told the press that uh, he hasn't made a firm decision uh, about the future of the wall, despite his executive order to halt its construction on the first day that he was in office. Um, They actually even mentioned that funding was set aside by Congress to finish the wall uh, after Joe Biden had actually even been elected. Um, but the exact bill uh, or congressional action that actually set aside the funding kind of remains unclear to a lot of people. Yeah, it just seems like Biden and Kamal Harris are doing what DC does best. And they're really just taking the problems that they promised to fix uh, and pushing them off, just kicking the can down the road, basically. Uh, Same thing with Republicans when they say they're going to talk about the debt, but they get in and just raise the debt ceiling. and they just do stuff like this to not look bad to either side, just to kind of, uh, I don't know, just play the rules and please the lobbyists or whatever. But uh, Biden's actions really, in this case, like you talk about um, either turning illegal immigrants around, but the wall is also not really built, uh, but it is built in certain sections. I don't think that any of this is going to satisfy either the left or the right. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think a lot of people are going to be annoyed and pissed off with it. But yeah. Um, and like what's funny about Kamala is that she's up there and it, I mean, just like every speech I see her, she looks like I don't know if she's like distraught or whatever, but she definitely looks tired and she looks like worn down and her hair is almost always messed up, which I mean, I'm not like big into like criticizing people's looks or whatever, but uh, it just looks like she's been kind of worn down because uh, this whole time they just kind of been dodging tough questions, dodging the media. And it, it's just really tough to keep secrets and lie, obviously. 
Yeah. And then um, the last topic that uh, we kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, um, but kind of has to do with the Libertarian Party um, because of this uh, supposed coup that occurred. Um, And so, you know, uh, Tom and I are both aware that we have some mixed listeners uh, from various political ideologies. Some of you may lean conservative, while some of you may be uh, full-fledged libertarians like Tom and I are. Um, And so some of you... Uh, may not have even heard about this. Um, If anybody's familiar with the comic Dave Smith, um, he's a comedian and staunch libertarian. Uh, He's kind of pumped lots of new followers into the Mises Caucus, and uh, the Mises Caucus is obviously supported by the Mises Institute. Um, Some of these followers have basically ran for positions in the uh, Libertarian Party at the state level, uh, in various different states, and they've won in landslide victories because of all of these supporters um, being pumped in by Dave Smith. Um, so Juletta Jarvis, uh, who was the leader of the LP in the state of New Hampshire, um, she was the recent elected official. Um, she released a statement which essentially said that anybody who is a member of the Libertarian Party in that state was no longer a member of the party, and that decision was final because she won leadership in a landslide and she could do what she wanted. Um, she then stated that she was going to unilaterally pass, meaning uh, there would be no party vote on the issue, um, a set of laws for the party that would extend her term to four years. Um, and then On top of that, the Libertarian National Committee, the LNC, uh, released a statement that essentially endorsed her action. Uh, And then the leader of the LP, John Bishop Hinchman, released another statement saying that anybody who casts blame or smears his name publicly would be sued for defamation. And this was just a huge shock to libertarians everywhere because this is the literal leader of the Libertarian Party nationwide. Um, threatening to sue other libertarians if they criticize him or question his actions. Basically, like one of the most unlibertarian things you could do. And um, this created a massive pushback um, against the LP on social media with many libertarians, you know, burning uh, LP t-shirts and denouncing the National Party as well as the LP um, in New Hampshire itself. Um, And Tom and I have kind of discussed this several times on our show before in which Um, there's kind of this distinction between, um, libertarian ideology, um, calling yourself a libertarian and then then the actual big letter L libertarian party in the United States. Um, the LP has consistently proven itself to be inept at answering, you know, the social and economical dilemmas of modern day politics. And they're kind of too hyper-focused on infighting within, um, their own political party about how to implement the specific ideology. Um, This specifically is why libertarians, including Tom and I, um, basically consider ourselves ourselves libertarian, but we don't identify or align with the actual party of the same name. Yeah, I don't even know. uh, I don't really feel like the libertarian party is genuine. Like, I understand there's all this infighting and certain people like the Mises Caucus. uh, Like, I personally believe in the Mises caucus that's that would be who I support I like Dave Smith um I you know like these ideas before I even like Dave Smith and just certain people like the Mises caucus want to be principled uh and then others like the pragmatist caucus uh obviously just try to get as many people into the party 
as possible, regardless of what the platform really is. And uh, I mean, obviously, this is going to be the nature of pretty much any political party. So you can't blame them for wanting to be pragmatic or whatever. But uh, but yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that they've messed up uh, is when it comes to attracting people and uh, tracking them, getting them into the party and uh, what their messaging is, because the messaging's not working. Uh, it worked for Dave Smith. And that's why he was able to get so many people in the party is because he had all these uh, listeners and there weren't too many party members. But uh, in terms of the LP, like their social media accounts and stuff like that, their messaging is terrible. Um, and I, I mean, I, I've said it in previous episodes. I think the LP could have really taken 2020 by the reins and gotten a huge expansion. Um, luckily, Dave Smith brought in a lot of people. Um, he was saying that he was telling people to join last year, but people didn't really get too excited until he decided to try to throw his hat in the ring for a presidential nomination in the next election. But, you know, the LP really botched 2020. Uh, you know, they could have been the one party that was really avidly against the lockdowns and the mandates uh, because even Republicans in the beginning were afraid to take a stand against that. And while people were just getting let go uh, left and right from their jobs. And they could have gotten all these people supporting them, uh, but instead they took the time to support BLM. And, uh, you know, even if you support BLM and you attract people to the party, you're not going to achieve your end goal of getting libertarian ideas across because you're getting people in the party or attracting people or whatever that would never want to secure liberty for all. So it's, it's kind of self-defeating to want to uh, prioritize whether or not you think, uh, I mean, I think Black Lives Matter. But I don't support the organization, so they shouldn't really be uh, posing quasi BLM stuff in order to attract the right sort of people to the party. So another thing that makes me think that it's not genuine is that most people's perception of the Libertarian National Convention, um, the convention itself, and uh, just you know how it works and how people get elected if if they even know that the libertarian national convention exists which most people even if they know about the party probably don't know that it's even got national presence but anyhow most people what they think about if they know about it is uh in 2016 when a candidate for the party leader stripped naked on stage literally took off all his clothes and he was escorted off stage and that was here in orlando luckily i didn't go because it just seems like a shit show. And uh, then his response was when he was getting interviewed on TV uh, that, quote, the political system is so corrupt that it needs to be stripped down to nothing, end quote. And just honestly, like, whether or not that's a true statement, it's just uh, like, it's, it's just fucking terrible messaging. Like, I remember when Austin Peterson in 2016 was running for a libertarian presidential nomination. And they were having the debate on Stossel's show, and he got booed for saying that he doesn't think it should be legal to sell heroin to a two-year-old, which is, uh, you know, uh, I guess uh, that's the biggest thing when uh, it comes to when it comes to electing a candidate, I guess. But uh, like, why is this even an issue? Like, when will something like this even become remotely relevant in our lifetime? It's just people's anger is directed in the wrong place. Like, we need to all come together around lowering taxes and uh decreasing regulations and stuff like that and not stuff uh or just like infighting about drugs and stupid shit that 
almost nobody supports. Um, but the last crazy thing we were talking about the coup of the LP in New Hampshire is that all this information of the party members for the LP of New Hampshire, I don't know if like their license information and stuff, like definitely their address, names, phone numbers, email, uh, was all basically taken. Uh, all the, I guess, I don't know if it was all the servers or whatever, but all of it was taken by, uh, these by this new uh lp uh queen or whatever's going on there and this is just going to become a huge case of fraud because all this information stolen and somebody's probably going to sell it on the internet or something who knows what's going to happen with it but is it, regardless of what happens i mean it's just another thing to embarrass and discredit the lp further to have this coup going on and especially if it becomes a legal issue with fraud and stuff like that and even though I don't care too much about the LP, like I don't vote for them, but uh, regardless, stuff like this still affects how people perceive the ideas of liberty, or at least perceive the people who believe in those ideas, uh, which will affect how they perceive the idea itself. And stuff like this will also keep genuine people like Dave Smith, who I've been a fan of for years, from even getting into office with all this corruption and just unilaterally overriding votes um you know it, it it might even discourage people from running in the first place um and just look back to last uh sorry 2016 presidential election i mean trump barely got into office by financing himself basically most of the way so what makes people think that there's not going to be this type of sabotaging at a smaller level with uh third parties and stuff like that and I think these ideas are way better than Trump's that Dave Smith has. Um, not everybody's going to agree, but personally, I think it's more imperative to them that the powers that be suppress these ideas. I mean, there's obviously ideas that he has and that Trump has that are similar, and they both uh, they both want to be suppressed by the mainstream media. And basically, uh, all these frauds and I mean, not just I mean, media is terrible, but all these frauds like stealing people's information and like basically performing a coup at the party, they need to just be in prison. Well, and you're talking about how it, it kind of turns people off to the ideas of liberty and everything. Who, who was the Libertarian Party nominee in 2016? Wasn't it Gary Johnson? Yes. Yeah. And so like, I remember way back in 2016, like you kind of, I remember uh, Gary Johnson did, wasn't it, I can't remember which late night show it was, but he did an interview um, on one of the those late night talk shows. I can't remember if it was uh, Conan or uh, Jay Leno or I don't know what it was, but um, he did one of those late night talk shows and he basically like, he got up on stage and was basically like smoking a joint and stuff like that and was talking about uh weed the entire time and like all this other stuff and it's like well obviously libertarians want marijuana legalized and everything like that's not the entirety of the libertarian party's platform either and everything and i remember just sitting there like nobody's going to vote for this guy like yeah okay you appeal to the very niche group of stoners like, across the united states but like you're not going to appeal to uh, everybody in terms of the rest of the Libertarian Party platform. Nobody's going to sit up there and watch you and be like, oh, yeah, that's the guy I want to be my president. And it's just like it's stuff like that is what turns people off to the rest of the Libertarian Party platform and the, the other ideas of liberty. And it's another example of how 
um, a lot of these political parties, you know, Democrats, Republicans, and now even the Libertarian Party are completely out of touch with culture and completely out of touch with what America needs and stuff like that. And they're too hyper-focused on one or two specific things um, to attract the majority of Americans who sit in the middle of the aisle and don't identify as either left or right. And that's the biggest issue is that when uh, these election cycles happen and everything, a lot of those people that are in the middle end up siding with either a Democrat or Republican instead of the party that's in the middle because the candidates are literal jokes and nobody ever takes them seriously. You know, I thought Joe Jorgensen was probably the most decent libertarian candidate I had seen in a while in terms of her ideas and her solutions to a lot of different problems. But the problem was a lot of people did not pay attention to her. And it wasn't necessarily because she wasn't serious. I think it's just a lot of funding issues and that people just in historically in the past do not take the Libertarian Party seriously. And so you kind of end up screwing over those future candidates that come down the road that may be better representatives of what that LP platform is, um, you screw them over in the fact that, uh, you know, years ago when you ran, you were such a joke that nobody paid attention to the party. And now everybody pays no attention to the party because historically speaking, that's what they think of. And so there's no reason for them to pay attention. And so it kind of just makes it almost impossible for Libertarian Party candidates when it comes to national elections uh, to gain any kind of traction with uh, the rest of the populace, because that's the view that they have of the LP and they're not willing to give them the time of day. So I definitely think that's a big issue and why a lot of us just don't identify with the LP because they, sim- they can't fix the simplest of problems. Yeah. And the problem, the, another issue is like, Gary Johnson, he did bring in votes, but he he did turn off a lot of people as well, uh, as probably as many as he brought in their votes. But, you know, we don't have I mean, like even Joe Jorgensen, like we don't have like she wasn't big, like nobody knew who she was. She didn't have a social media presence or whatever. It's like I mean, even Dave Smith, he has uh, instead of a couple thousand followers when he's about to run, he has. 50,000 or so on Instagram or whatever, and hundreds of thousands on Twitter, especially after he went on Joe Rogan a few times. And we just need somebody who, because I think he articulates pretty well. Um, There's obviously nobody who I know of that's even equivalent to Ron Paul, but he, Dave Smith articulates pretty well, and he's got a little bit of a following, like I said. So hopefully he can bring some momentum to this party or at least change the platform to make it more prioritized because I know he, one of the things he wants to do is to prioritize, you know, what means the most first and not just worry about stupid shit like two-year-olds on heroin. And, you you know, the problem is that Ron Paul spoke like that too. And he's very kind of realistic approach to things. He's like, yeah, I care about liberty, but also like here's X, Y, and Z, Y. Um, Whereas people like Gary Johnson or Joe Jorgensen, they're not as good at uh, articulating things. Uh, they might get too deep into theory, at least with Jorgensen. But like Gary Johnson, he's he's very uh, fiscally conservative, socially liberal. He's not like, he doesn't really have a good answer to things. He just wants to say, we're a mix of uh, two things you might like. Uh, and just like, even though he was a governor of New Mexico, 
it's pretty sad that he couldn't bring in the momentum that uh, the party really needed. So I don't know if Dave Smith will, but at least he's going to bring in a lot of ideas and uh, somewhat popularity this time. So hopefully. And see, the the one thing that I'd say uh, that's probably good about Dave Smith possibly running is this whole deal with, you know, the fact that the whole... The primary reason Trump got elected originally was because of the fact that a lot of people viewed him as an outsider and that he was a businessman first and that he had seen the real world and that kind of thing. And that's what a lot of people uh, were attracted to when he ran. And so I think that it's almost the same sort of thing with Dave Smith and the fact that he's a comedian first and that, you know, he he's had his own business and doing stand up for a long time and has, you know, has paid real world person taxes and has been a normal person and everything and hasn't been a career politician that's now in his 60s or 70s. Um, like the majority of politicians we have nowadays, I think that would also be attractive to people as well is that he's, I mean, to be a comedian, you have to be a pretty likable person or you're not going to be a successful comedian. People have to like you, people have to think you're funny, and then have to do both of those enough to pay for tickets to come see you perform and everything. And that's where comedians make their money. They're not going to make their money off, you know, somebody streaming 20 minutes of their, one of their comedy specials or something like that on Netflix. Like that's not going to, that's not going to fit fit the bill, uh, you know, for them and be able to get them any kind of income or anything. So these people have to be likable and have to be funny for people to come and pay to see them perform. And I think that if uh, Dave Smith is a comedian and is a successful one at that, he may be one of the people that the Libertarian Party has waited on to start to pull all those people that are uh, standing in the middle of the aisle or whatever, you know, pull them into the Libertarian Party and, you know, possibly stand a fighting chance the next, you know, election cycle. Yeah, but I don't know if whoever controls the Libertarian Party really ever wants them to win because, like I said, I don't really think they're genuine because they just seem to be self-sabotaging. But um, obviously Dave kind of has the same quality as Trump to where he will speak his mind and he'll call out bullshit in real time and he'll go after people who go after him, um, which is really powerful. And obviously they try to silence it with Trump and... Like I said, I, I likened him to Trump. Like he, they try to silence Trump and they try to silence Dave Smith. They try to, you know, take over uh, LP New Hampshire. And so the Mises caucus can't get their people in and stuff like that. So who knows what they're going to do in the future. But uh, it's it just goes to show that the most powerful political voice that we can have nowadays is somebody who is really unfiltered and has somewhat of a following and is good at speaking and somewhat likable. So I hope that he really... Because I think he demonstrates all those. He's been a, a pretty good pos- podcaster for a while. So, I, I mean, I hope that there's good a good future in that. But it should kind of be scary to everybody that even just with these small parties that there's huge uh, like a coup going on. Yeah, and we can't even have our our movement get through that we've been trying to push for a few years with the Mises Caucus. Yeah, it doesn't serve any kind of productive purpose at all. But um, I think that's gonna cut it for. The show, obviously, you know, we had several different topics we wanted to get through because we'd been gone for so long. But I think we um, covered each one of those pretty well um, in terms of at least getting the meat of the problem and everything and, and, you know, giving our two cents on each one of those issues. 
Um, but obviously, again, we apologize that the show was three weeks late um, this time around. We just had lots of different holidays back to back to back. Um, and obviously, I was a little bit preoccupied with some personal stuff. So, um, But we're glad we finally got to get back in the studio and, and uh, produce some content for you guys. Um, again, thank you guys for listening. And uh, hopefully we will be back on a uh, normal recording schedule here soon. Um, so see you guys next time. Peace. Thank you guys for listening. Peace. On my back porch, just pushing through. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Free For All podcast. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow and subscribe to the show and connect with us on Instagram to keep up to date with all the latest content. Peace.